Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. This is another recording from one of the community meetups a few weeks ago. And we had a great conversation, I thought. It kind of went in a few different directions that I wasn't expecting, but that's always a good thing, I think. Before we get to that, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us on PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to find out more about that, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Right, let's get straight on with the question that I asked everyone. How far are you willing to go to support someone who wants to make the switch to Linux? So say someone's curious about it and they come to you for advice. What distro should I try? How do I get it installed? How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to help them get it set up and then they're on their own and you point them in the right place for forums or whatever? Like How far and how much time are you willing to invest to convert someone over to Linux? Less than I used to. <laughs> I was interested by Alan and Jim in Two and a Half Admins a couple of episodes ago. Someone wrote in and said, I'm finding ZFS hard to get into because I can't find anyone to help support it. And I posted on Reddit and no one helped me. And I quite like Jim's attitude, which is quite battle hardened. And he was like, well, you either pay someone or learn it yourself. End of question. Let's move on. And it is difficult because I used to be a bit more generous with my time. And that's the problem I find is that my passion and advocacy for Linux can sometimes bleed into free consulting. And that's my difficulty with the way open source works. Like, did you see the Lutris blog post recently? The main developer of Lutris was basically like, look, like, I really enjoy this, but I also hate it. And I need a project manager because there's such an enormous sense of entitlement over this project, which I basically started writing for myself. And I'm not saying I'm giving it up, but like I can't handle what this is to do when there's no money and there's no pressure relief. And I read through that and I thought, yeah, I I can and I don't I'm not a dev or I don't run a project, but I have a lot of people that message me for help and some of it on Linux. And I will help them to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, Tom Lawrence has a YouTube channel. He uh, he put it this week, and someone said it to me before, I've forgotten. They're called Ask Holes. And it's the people that ask you for advice, and you give them loads of advice, and then they come back, and they've done nothing which you've said, like literally almost nothing that you've advised them to do. And they've come back, and I'm quite sure with those people now, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, like, I told you what to do. You haven't done what my opinion on this is. I don't know what you expect me to say now because you didn't do anything that I said. And I'm sorry, but I told you so. <laughs> I'm relatively new to Linux. Uh, I've made it my main OS of choice for about 18 months now since I retired, basically. So I have the time to learn it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I literally suck up all the podcasts and read as much as I can. And I suppose in that 18 months, I ha I don't feel I'm a newbie anymore. But what I really would have appreciated was somebody, kind of a, a mentor or a buddy. I know there's been a bus system in health services where I used to work. You know, someone you could turn to. And obviously, you wouldn't want to be uh, bugging them every day for help. But if you had some kind of a process whereby you could say, right, you know, 
one day a week or one evening a week. I want to go through the questions I have written. Could you help me? That's what I really would have appreciated. In fact, I would still appreciate for certain things. But if you had something of a buddy system, I think that would be what I'd be willing to do, even at my level of knowledge now, which isn't great, but I have enough that I think I could help a real a newbie uh, coming along. Obviously, it also depends on how much time you have available. Uh, as, as I say, I'm in the fortunate position to be retired, and therefore I could uh, certainly afford a couple of hours a week to help um, somebody uh, enter enter the Linux world. So it really will really de- depend on where you're at in your own life stage and your work and all those kind of things. But that's what I would be willing to do. I'm willing to support someone no matter what they do, because, I mean, it's more interesting than homework. So, yeah, if someone wants to switch to Linux, I will sit there. And depending on what they're interested in, um, I'll either set up an SSH connection and just if they have a question, just SSH in, set it up and then hang up on them but you know if they're interested in computers or something like that that's when i usually you know put in a bit of effort and actually show them what i'm doing i've never actually done that for anybody so maybe it gets really annoying and i think anything when it's your job it's um it's not as much fun but um i've always wanted to be a sysadmin and i really like installing software and setting things up and tweaking things so i don't know i always thought that'd be fun Um, But also, like, I think anybody just really needs to know how to do a good web search. Like, I taught myself everything I know. I just went on the internet. Every problem I had, if I poked around long enough, I found an answer. I don't know. Is that like, do people not know how to do web searches anymore? Sometimes you don't know what you are looking for. That's a problem. Yeah, sometimes the question that you've got isn't necessarily the right one. Like, you might think that you know what the solution would be, but then really it's something completely just like orthogonal to what you are actually looking for. So it's it's not even having bad Google food necessarily. It's like not even fully understanding the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, I was I was intrigued by Wimpress in the latest Ubuntu podcast. He was like, I haven't kept bookmarks for 25 years or whatever. He said, everything's on Google. I just know what to search for. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's not how I experience it. Like, for example, at the moment, right, I listened to the latest two and a half admins and Alan said, quite rightly, you should run ZFS and you should snapshot it before a backup, which is great. But I really like using Borg backup and I can't, I mean, I'm just about formulating it is because my bash scripting is pants, but I'm trying to work out a way to use Sanoid, Jim's tool, to take automatic snapshots and then bash script so that the latest daily snapshot is grepped and is either symlinked or bind mounted so that I can run Borg backup from the snapshot. But whatever I put in to search for that gets me a few different approaches, none of which are the answer that I'm looking for. That comes back to when I, I keep hearing Jim's voice in my head being like, yeah, that's because you have to pay people that know this stuff <laughs> to do it for you or learn it yourself. So I'm learning it myself. But the problem is my bash script for Borg will run the directories I pointed out, but it's running on a live file system every night when it runs. Now I'm asleep, so they're largely static files, but that's where it starts to become difficult because I guess Jim's right in a way. The level of knowledge I seek is going to come from someone like him and he'll invoice me (laughs) at the end of it. 
this kind of helping other people was what we used to have Lux for, really, wasn't it? And we used to do things like install fests, and we would advertise in you know, local areas for saying, come to this place on Sunday and we'll help you install Linux. That's, that's what we used to do like 15, 20 years ago. I participated in install fest 2019. Really? Yep. In South America, it's like normal. I feel like coming back to the idea that, you know, we're, Joe, what you really asked was helping people convert over to Linux. How far are you willing to go? And for me, it's probably about 20 miles because that's about as far as I want to drive. But <laughs> obviously with the advantage of remote stuff, I don't know, pretty far. I think I'd go pretty, pretty far and, and try to be as open as possible. An open line of communication, especially for somebody who is is really interested and in show, you know, I guess it would be a, a personality question or a question for me to ask, like, are they really, really super interested? Are you going to roll with this or not? Yeah, I mean, I had that with Kyle, right? Like, the, we, we had him on the show and stuff. And I talk to him all the time still. And he is, uh, he's found Fedora with uh, KDE to be his, uh, you know, what he likes. And it's been very, very frustrating at times. Like he, you know, as as he pissed off a lot of people who listened, like, you know, he sometimes, like, it just the way he goes about it and some of the motivations he seems to have and some of the questions just seem like really nonsensical to me. Like being obsessed with privacy and stuff and yeah, he's still using Windows, whatever. And, you know, I won't drag all that up, although I'm hoping that um, he can actually settle on Fedora and uh, we can have like a you know, close the loop or, you know, he can have an arc, a redemption episode or whatever. But um, it can be very frustrating. And, you know, it makes me think, like, is it even worth it to convert someone over? I haven't shouted at a, a podcast um, until I heard that one. <laughs> and it brought back all, all the sort of previous experience I've had of trying to get people to use what was OpenOffice, now LibreOffice, years and years ago. And, and all they would say was, it doesn't work like Microsoft, or it doesn't open Microsoft documents, and that was a bug with LibreOffice in, 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 or OpenOffice in, in their eyes. And really, it's it's a lack of openness and compatibility possibilities with the proprietary software. So it gets really frustrating when people say something doesn't work because it's not the same as what they're used to. If someone wants something that's basically the same as Microsoft Office, I just give them free Office. Yeah, but even then, it's not still completely the same, is it? Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. I think certain distros are more user friendly. Like I was using Ubuntu for a while just because like pretty much anything I wanted to install was in the repos and anything I searched online, I found pretty quickly answers that were very specific to what was going on. People even asking the exact same thing I was thinking. 
I think that's just a numbers game, though, because Ubuntu is by far the most widely used desktop Linux distro. And so just having that many people using it for the last like 15 years or whatever has meant that there's this huge just treasure trove of knowledge and questions out there. And especially stuff like Ask Ubuntu, which is really handy, like the the way the answers get bumped up and voted on and edited and cleaned up and everything, that you just don't have that with other smaller distros. Yeah, I've, I, that's where I settle, especially with recommending. I usually use Ubuntu Mate just because it scales well on all hardware. And like that's what my mother-in-law runs, my mother runs, my father-in-law runs, my wife runs. They're all like proper daily driver level computers for people. I mean, my father-in-law's the head of IT for the Paris Fire Brigade, so he knows stuff. Although I call him a 1.0 person to my 2.0. So he gets frustrated because he doesn't understand things like Plex or stuff that's new but he knows way more than I do about stuff that emerged in the 80s and 90s, especially like web platforms and web server platforms. So dovetails quite well. But everyone else, they were just pissed off because Windows was Windows. Like it would go to a blue circle for half an hour in the middle of their working day or whatever. And they were like, is there a way that I can stop this from happening? And generally, I, I would put Ubuntu Mate on for them. And the only thing I would say is I, I was thinking about updates today. The the update is the problem because there's obviously there's automatic updates, but I don't just blindly apply that for everything. And if I go to a system after a while, I realize like my wife, I've put the GUI to like pop up and say, there are updates available for your system. Please apply them. And she clicks cancel every single time. <laughs> it's a difficult one. So I understand why Windows has taken that approach, but my God, is it annoying? Like I was fixing a computer this morning. That's really not bad spec at all. And it sat there for an hour and it's completely not verbose. It's just a spinning wheel that says, please wait. And it's the most frustrating end user experience of all time. Cause you're like, is something broken? What are you doing? Like, what is going on? So mm. I just feel like, like, for example, if I put Arch on any of these people I've just mentioned, they just wouldn't update it enough. And in the end, they'd be making a catastrophically huge update to their system because they just left it to gather dust for weeks. That doesn't work on Arch. Yeah, exactly. The only reason I ever use Windows, or the only reason I have it even installed on my computer is for, you know, those couple programs where it just doesn't work under Wine or VMs, and for VR. VR is probably the main one, because, you know, the Oculus Quest 2, it's a great headset because it's cheap and standalone, but it's Windows only, which angers me. In Windows defense... I actually set up Windows 10 on a laptop a couple of days ago for someone, and it has got a lot better. I installed it. It could see my Wi-Fi network. I connected, and then it just downloaded all of the drivers that it needed. And yeah, okay, it was a little bit frustrating compared to Linux, but it was way better than I remembered. And I think at one point it may have hung on an update, and I had to restart it a couple of times. But ultimately, it's not as bad as I have said in the past. And people have called me out for that, for just like blindly criticizing it. And um, 
to Microsoft's credit, like they have definitely improved the experience over the last like five years, let's say. And now you can just go to the Microsoft website, download an ISO. I used Rufus to put it on a USB stick, installed it, had it all updated and drivers installed within a couple of hours. I mean, that would take me probably half an hour with Linux, but you know, that's still an improvement. I remember it taking days before to do all the updates and everything. I think it's actually easier to install something like Ubuntu and you get something that works and is privacy orientated right out of the box. Whereas with Windows, I use Windows on a VM and I, I use the uh, the 90 day trial version. I just blow it away and reinstall it. So I'm installing it at least every 80 or so days. And it's I know how to do it now. You have to kind of go through the custom install, turn everything, say no to everything that it asks, and then go in and turn everything off that you can find. And that takes the most time. The updates still take a long time, but turning it into something that you, you actually don't feel like is completely and utterly just calling back to Microsoft all the time, even though it probably is, takes the, the time. For me, one of the greatest things about Linux is like Chris mentioned, the, the verbosity of the updates, like the transparency, you know exactly what's happening. Like you can read that terminal output and know exactly what's happening. Whereas with a Windows or Mac system, you have no idea. It just says, updating, please wait, don't turn your computer off or whatever. And then it's done, reboot, and then it takes an, another little while and you've got no clue what has happened. And most people want that, I think. Most like normal, non-techie people or whatever, they're not interested in it. But just to have that option in Linux, like even in a GUI software updater, like you have some sense of what's happening and you've almost always got the option to use a terminal and know literally exactly, you know, you could log all of that and then go through it with a fine-tooth comb even. Yeah, I'd agree, like... My mother runs uh, Gallium on an old Chromebook off an SD card. And she sent me a picture in a panic on WhatsApp today because the Grub screen had come up to choose whether she booted normally or used the fullback kernel. Because usually I have it on quiet boot. And for some reason, an update had triggered it to come on. And just the very fact that it was like white text on a black background and it wasn't like a shiny polished GUI. She thought she'd broken the system. And I was like, no, 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 you can just select the first option and it'll boot absolutely fine. So, but I don't know if you've ever seen a Mac fall into verbose boot mode, which you can force it to do. People assume that that means it's broken rather than it's giving you information. So I can understand why it's all Wizard of Oz style, pull the curtain forward and, and blue screens. But I just wish you could press escape like you can in other operating systems and see what's going on if you want to. You can't even do that. Even just a drop down in the um, the GUI updater, uh, like in um, is it in Ubiquiti the uh, the installer for Ubuntu? Yeah, yeah. There's a, like a little drop down to see the terminal output of exactly what's happening, and that's not by default. But if you want to see it, you can, and that that's what I love about Linux. Like you you can have that level of control and. Uh, insight into what's happening if you want or you can totally abstract it away whereas with uh, maybe there is a way in windows and mac os maybe i i don't know i mean i don't think there is but it's it's not as obvious to me that you can do that for windows 10 if you want to be able to read the log output when it's updating you have to plug a printer into lpc1 and then it'll print out all the log data right that is so obscure Going back to the original question, Joe, how far I'm willing to go 
I willing to go a little bit far for random people actually, but I probably would be way, way, way far away for a family member. For example, from from my parents, I need to support them anyway most of the time, and it will be way easier for me if they were on Linux because I know exactly where the stuff are, and because they are on Windows, it's like, oh god, like. It was like five years ago when I last used Windows. Where was that option again? Yeah, I suppose people who you are obliged to help regardless, you may as well have them on the same system as you. That's why I have my mother on uh, Zubuntu, or she was using Gallium OS, which is basically Zubuntu. But I sorted her out a new laptop recently. Uh, well, new to her. And um, it uh, is just so much easier. Like I can literally, I was talking her through on the phone, connected to a Bluetooth speaker, and I could literally click the same stuff and I had my Bluetooth speaker there and I could see it and I could talk her through exactly what to do. Whereas if that was Windows, I'd be struggling because I, you know, it's it's not something I've got that much experience with. It also means you can preempt bugs, I tend to find, because I'm running updates. And this doesn't happen very often on LTS, but it has happened where mm. I've had to be like, oh, okay, this is going to happen to everyone because it's a... Uh, um, like recently, something weird happened with kernels in... 2004 where it jumped everyone from 5.4 to 5.8 or not everyone but quite a lot of people and then that broke certain wi-fi cards and if you were using an nvidia graphics card and now 2104 is coming out i think it's going to be on 5.11 which is good but it was really weird and if you went on the uh onto launchpad there were other people that had raised it they were like because now i don't know if you know that ubuntu like automatically enrolls all desktop users into the hardware enablement stack. It used to be a thing you would opt into, but now you opt out of it instead. Yeah, I've noticed that, yeah. So I think it was something to do with that, because obviously with 2104, unless you opt out and say, no, no, I want 5.4 for all time, it will bump every desktop user up to 5.11. But it's that kind of thing where because... I run my updates more frequently than the other people I know. I can then say to them, oh, either don't update or you're going to need to do this because this bug is about to occur and you can kind of mitigate it. And I'm sure, you know, if I ran Windows every day, I'd be able to see that and do the same thing. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. If we're talking about a lot of people in the community who are amateurs and debutantes, I mean, the great thing about what's available now are the number of remote desktop apps. So 
for example, I use AnyDesk or TeamViewer with friends. Now, unfortunately, most of them are using Windows, so I end up helping them on that. But um, I think that's one of the, the, the massive benefits of the remote desktop protocols that are the number that are out there that are free. And it's it's really so much easier to help somebody when you can see what's what they're doing or what they need to do, what they need to click on, the menu options that are available. That's a fabulous way of helping somebody. Yeah, that's what we use at work. And I guess it's really nice for people that aren't tech savvy. Yeah, and, I, and what I'm saying is, I think if we're going back to Joe's original question about how much you'd be willing to do for somebody, if you have the time, I think that's a great way to help somebody. Uh, and I would certainly be willing to do it with my limited knowledge. And I would really appreciate it if there were others out there who would do the same for me. Popey for a while was doing some uh, YouTube videos, which were quite with that bent. So he, like while Wimpy was doing like, this is coding and how I'm doing the next LTS and stuff. Popey was like, this is how I set up KDE from when I open up a completely fresh install of Kubuntu. And it was very much like using the GUI to do different settings and things and what apps he installed and how he changed stuff that even someone who'd never used it before could sort of sit with him and do the things and sort of pause the video. I found those quite good and stuff like that's quite useful. If the person can't help you live, if they can do a kind of approximation of what they would do to help you live, that's then recorded for posterity. Those videos are quite useful. The problem is, is there's quite a sea of, Linux videos these days that aren't necessarily all actually as helpful as they think they are. But someone like Popey, like he he explains it quite well and and makes it quite clear. Yeah, and they can be great foundational pieces for your learning. I guess what I'm saying is that you know sometimes when you go through a process that you watch a tutorial or whatever and you're still missing something for some reason, it's a bit like a recipe, you know, cooking something uh, and for whatever reason there's just one simple step that's missing that the author hasn't thought to, to write down or to show you so that's where it would be great that if you had somebody literally almost beside you and you go ah oh, yeah but you're not doing this and oh i didn't understand i needed to do that that's what i would find very useful in that kind of approach